different in the sense that we finished up Ecclesiastes. Don't want to start on a book this week. Um, so what uh, we're going to do is we're going to take one verse and we're not even going to get to the depth of this verse because if any of you have ever read Puritans, you'll know one of the things that they always said about them is they left no stone unturned. And so I was reading... People have been asked, well, what are we going to do this week? Bob asked me, well, I'm reading a few books that we had back there that I took home Sunday. This is a Puritan paperback. One of my favorite Puritans is Thomas Watson. Thomas Watson is very easily understood, but his statements in the way that he colors it makes it very profound. And it's like thoughts like, wow, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> but... Um, he takes one verse and makes a book out of it, and uh, I'm sure that one could make it even thicker and thicker if they wanted to. But uh, yeah, Martin Lloyd Jones and his Ephesians. I, I have not finished with Ephesians six yet, um, getting those recorded and getting those to you. He still he was still in Ephesians six and hadn't finished it yet. Well, there might be that many more on the last few verses, but that's that's called the depths of God. And uh, not that we're going to reach that tonight, but I will tell you, we're going to have a real high view of God as we look at Scripture, and we're going to have a high view of what He is doing with us. And and, uh, just incredible. You think of that that great verse. Yes, Barb. You were on this verse, June 1st. 2008. I had no idea. And the reason I remember that is because that was my first Bible study that I came to. That was almost eight years ago. Eight years ago. Yeah. And that's what we were on when we were going through the Otherwise, I would not have that. <laughs> that came out of your mind, right? But that's that's a good place to be, right there, Romans eight. That is a uh, that's a jewel. That is a jewel in the Bible, Romans eight, and this verse is right at the heart of the jewel. And I think it would probably be one of the favorite verses of many Christians. Probably most Christians know this verse. Um, But to really know it, uh, how much are we going to get out of this one verse? And and this is just like covering one chapter. So a lot of these are are thoughts that are coming from him. I just kind of stole them or borrowed from Thomas Watson. But I, I just also want to encourage you to, uh, when you, if you see a Puritan book and it's not too thick, like something like this, these Puritan paperbacks, um, if you can grab somebody like a Thomas Watson, uh, you'll be encouraging. Say, I read a Puritan book, mm-hmm. um, and, and realizing, and you can actually say, and I think I understood most of it. <laughs> Uh, or some of it, right? Uh, but he's not. He doesn't really go over your head. But he really makes you think and ponder, and uh, really, you get a really high view of God. Isn't that what we want? Mm-hmm. And that's what it's about. So I think we'll get a real blessing out of this, not because uh, I'm doing anything with it, but because of some of the things that uh, we can borrow from him. And I just want to encourage people. We get. We have uh, that library. We can you can see uh, see the books and see what's there. And there's there's other books in the building. Uh, just ran out of room a little bit, but just want to encourage you if you want to uh, get a little bit of a reading uh, with some pretty good deep stuff. There's um, there's plenty there. I was just kind of going through it the other day, and I'm going, oh, I've got to I've got to check this out. So anyway, uh, may we be blessed tonight. Good, uh, good to see you guys. And uh, why don't we uh, go to the Lord in prayer? Father, we thank you for your greatness. You are a holy God, awesome indeed, majestic. And may we, in our minds and our hearts, have you lifted up, exalted high in our thinking. Because the higher that we see of you, the more of the view that is what we need. And as a result of that, we truly get blessed. And we do want to be blessed from your hands because that's what you want to do with your children. And uh, help us to get a bright view 
of what Your Word is saying tonight and just this one verse and as we look at other verses to support it. Uh, and as down through the years, Lord, as we have looked at um, great men of God, um, as we've done biographies, as we have uh, looked at some of the people You blessed and the way that they've written and the way they lived their lives, uh, as we look at what Thomas Watson has written, uh, it's strictly from Your Word. And uh, may it be impressed upon our hearts tonight as we can just be wonderfully blessed from Your truth. In Jesus' name, Amen. Romans 8.28, how does it go? For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Loaded, isn't it? And He has a spoon and a medicine jar. And we're going to take our medicine tonight, okay? But this is good medicine. Now, when we we, we were in Ecclesiastes, it felt like we were taking some really strong medicine. And uh, this is going to be a little different this time. This is going to be uh, much in a very positive way. And the way that Ecclesiastes wound up, it was very positive, wasn't it? And it was always looking at a providential God. Well, that's what we see in in this section here. Um, you guys have your outlines? Everybody has yeah. outlines back there? Did you guys get any? Any outlines? You got Okay, good shape. Very good. First thing I got right there is the grand reason. There's a reason why all things work together for good. The grand reason, Watson said it like this, the near and dear interest which God has in you. <laughs> Every one of us. He has a great interest in us. A grand, dear interest. And we know He's made a covenant with us, don't we? We know that. He's made a pact. You know, He has promises. Uh, I like where it says in Jeremiah 32.38. Jeremiah 32.38. He says, They shall be My people. He says, They shall be My people and I will be their God. Now that's all in an area where, you know, of course, Jeremiah 31, you think of the covenant and uh, that's being presented there. And there in Jeremiah 32, he says, they shall be my people. Uh, I, I will possess them. They're mine. And I will be their God. He is our God. Right? That was so. in summation last week the whole Bible. That, that was it, wasn't it? Yeah. That's a good way to come off of that as we blend right into this. <laughs> That's right. Very good. Very good, Nick. Um, and, and we know by virtue because of this compact that He has made with us, then all things do work for good. They must work for good. They will, without a doubt, work for good. Um. I am God, even your God, he says in the Psalms. I am God. Um, So when he says, I am your God, think of the relationship that that is dealing with. I'm your God. We have a relationship. You know, when we say he's our God, or he says, I'm your God, isn't that one of the sweetest thoughts that you can get out of the Bible? That's a, the best relation possible. You know. So Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at God in different angles that He presents Himself in Scripture. Um, like, for instance, the first one we'll start with, and, and of course, that's what this cover is about. The doctor gives you medicine. And He is the great physician. So, one relationship that we have with God is that He's our physician. If He's our God, He's our skillful physician. He knows exactly what is best. When we have something ailing us, He knows exactly. You know, it's amazing how He knows the temperaments of each one of us. He knows them intricately. Much better than each one of us know ourselves, right? He knows our particular things about us that makes us unique and different. And He knows what will work the most effective way. He works differently with all different people. 
And so he knows exactly how to get to us. Some people have a sweet disposition. And they're the ones who are just drawn by God's mercy. Uh, there are others that are more rugged, naughty pieces on them and such. See, you know, he's forming us, right? <laughs> That's what, and, and, and I borrow that from Watson there. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought of that. You, you know, you see a piece of wood and it's a rough piece of wood, but it's a good piece of wood. But, you know, it's got some rough spots on it, you know, not, naughty pine. You know. <laughs> but, <laughs> not heads. Not heads. Well, God deals with the rough spots the, the ones that are, seem to be a little more rugged, we'll say, maybe sometimes in a little more forcible way, you know. Um, some things are kept in sugar, and other things are kept in brine, as Watson said. You like that? <laughs> kind of picturesque. Um, he, he says this, too. Uh, as he says, God does not deal alike from one to another. He has trials for the strong, and he, listen to this, he has cordials, for the weak. <laughs> kind of interesting. He's a faithful physician. And he's going to turn everything all for the best. Uh, sometimes when when you take medicine, it doesn't taste the best, does it? It's not going to taste the best, but that's not what God's interest is, is that it, you know our palate. Sometimes the, the doctor is not there to please the taste of the patient, but he wants to treat the disease, and he's going to treat it the way that should if he's a good doctor, right? So um, this physician, he labors to heal us. Um, he's not here to humor us, but he's healing us. And uh, you know, all throughout the Old Testament, you think of God's dealings with his with his children, and sometimes you know it can be. Uh, uh, kind of sharp the way that things seem the way that he's working with it but he's going to do you good in the latter end uh, look in uh, Deuteronomy 8.16 go back to the Pentateuch the law the Torah really and um, 8.16 in the wilderness He fed you manna which your fathers did not know, that He might humble you and that He might test you to do good for you in the end. It's all leading to His purpose and all to the the end and the way that it culminates and then He brings it to the latter end there. He's doing good for you. That's where it's all leading. uh, Even as it is right now. They were getting that sweet manna too, you know. But as he still gave them the, the test. Well, that, that's a position. That's the way that Watson first started off with. That's, that's a good relationship. And, and we need the doctor, don't we? Doctor, doctor. <laughs> but we also need that father relationship. A father relationship. Now, um, a father uh, loves his child and... He will do, if he really loves them, he's going to do whatever it takes for the good of that child. He, he, you know, he wants the best interest of that child. You've been doing best interest for that little one that's down below your feet there? <laughs> A tall order, right? Right now it's up to mom, right? <laughs> that's right. Keep that in mind. <laughs> That's what they do. <laughs> the good of the child. Um, God uh, does not destroy us. He is doing the opposite, isn't he? He is uh, reforming us. He, you know, he is changing us constantly, all for the good. So he doesn't hurt his children. Matter of fact, he's very tender-hearted, very tender-hearted, and all his care and all the skill that he has is operated through through his children. And so he's tender-hearted. He's called a father of mercy. Look at Second Corinthians, chapter uh, one, verse three. I I miss these verses sometimes. 
because I'm getting ready to move on to another verse or something. But in Second Corinthians chapter one, verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this, the Father of mercies, God of all comfort. He's a Father of mercies. Are you looking for a Bible, Bob? If it's not there, there might be one in the office where there's like some of those. Uh, yeah. Yeah, some of those New American Standards are back there, the paperbacks. If one can read the print. Um, how about, you know, like in Isaiah 9 6, of course, it's talking about, you know, you think of the Messiah there, you know, and, and he's called the. Uh, uh, the everlasting Father. Of course, Christ, who is the Son, is not the Father in what, we're, what we would be thinking. But in that sense there, what He's talking about is that He is from eternity. He is everlasting. And uh, those words go together there. And He, and he provides uh, for us. He never ceases to be God. He never ceases to be a Father. Now, children can grow up and then they lose their fathers, right? Now they're on their own. It's like now that 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 one who they you know they grew up with and such and, and he's no longer there. Um that's just the way it happens. But this father is eternal. He's always there. Always. Nice nice to know. He never ceases to be the father. And uh in all things must need to be for our good as the Father takes care of us. So, we've seen a physician. We've seen Him as a Father. Father of mercies. Father of comfort. Now, how about the husband? Do you see that in Scripture? And that's as we are like the wife. As the husband takes on this, uh, the sense of um, taking care of his wife and loving his wife and such. He, he seeks the good of his spouse, right? Yeah. You like that one? Yeah, because, you know, you were talking about the discipline of God towards the children. And uh, I don't know if you went here, uh, but this is, these are the verses you make think of. Hebrews 12. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's verses uh, 3 through, I guess, um, 11. But anyways, uh, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. And struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as son. And then he quotes the Old Testament, My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or faint when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son whom he receives. Endure it as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there who Fathers is not discipline. But if you are without discipline, which all receive, and you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had natural fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But he does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Uh, I actually, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping to get this to you guys because it got to me. Uh, God got it to me. I, I was writing a song, and this section got in the song. I don't know how, <laughs> but it got in the song. And as I was writing it, and I had the melodies, and I had, it was all flowing, uh, I finished the song. And it wasn't until like two hours later, I looked at it, and I read it, and it caused me to cry. As I, as I was singing it through my apartment, I was walking back and forth, and I was singing it. And it and finally, this idea of if you love me, you scourge me. It's, it's, 
paradoxical. That's <laughs> that's beautiful, but uh, it's because I can tell that you love me because you are dealing with me. You are coming to me, and you are actually caring enough to be in my world and doing something about it. Mm-hmm. It really does care. Yeah. That's a true father. He's a proactive daddy. Proactive, that's right. Good way to put it. That's you know, in today's generation, they don't know that. You know, we've got Avell who told me, uh, you are so lucky to have a father. I didn't. And you were telling me, don't take it for granted. I don't. Or at least I try not to. And, uh, and then we have children who... Uh, are their their parents want to be friends with their kids, but they don't they don't even act like friends. They're not even in their in their life. They're not. They might hang out every now and then, but that's not the purpose of parenting, or what you know God had had in mind for a father or a mother. You can't be friends. It's, you know, friends don't discipline other friends. If, if they're good friends, they may. They may actually take them aside and say, but, you know, no. I don't know where that, where that came from. That's a good idea. Yeah, thanks. Well, that's, that's the perfect passage that um, one thinks of when... Um, you go to discipline and the father and how he does that. And the word discipline sounds really bad to us too, but the word means to train. It means to train. So, you know, it's all a, a, a positive thing, even though to us it may not sound favorable, but of course you see that it's, it's because he does care. But we're disciples, right? It's, it's related to the same word. It means we're, we're disciplined or we're trained. We're in training as disciples and we want to make disciples out of others. You know, make them disciples, learners. And yeah. I like this, um, how because he's our father, he disciplines us, but also not like it's a wonderful feeling for me because there's a whole void for people like me who don't have a, an adult figure. It doesn't necessarily have to be a father, but somebody who is willing to take authority to take charge over another, another human being, another state that's not theirs. So, I mean, I didn't have that growing up, so once I got into knowing the Lord and I came across the verses about what a father, it kind of blew me back. It, it really allowed me to take a step back and say, wow, I never had an earthly father, but I have a, a father who's eternal and never ending and who's wiser and smarter. I have the greatest father in the world uh, that ever lived and ever will live. But um, it's, a nice, it's a nice feeling to know that. And so when he corrects us, I know that he's not correcting me because he's mad at me or he hates me or he doesn't love me. He corrects me because he wants me to continue to know that I'm loved. So in those times of like punishment for my actions in a way, it's like I know I'm still loved by him because he's been attention to my life and yeah. working me. And I may not know why or what's going on, but I know that it's through him that all I know. Yeah. So there's a song we're going to be playing, a new song. <laughs> uh, Sunday, good, good father, <coughs> and it was written. It was yeah, and it, it was written by a man along with another guy. But it was written by a man who was fatherless, and that's the whole purpose of the song. Is, and it came out of you know understanding that he's he's our father, and he's a good father. No, it was the actual like lyric writer. No, not Chris Thompson. He didn't write it. He just made it famous. So that's how we get to hear these songs. Yeah. He steals people's songs. <laughs> What's good? What I like to do on Christmas. We just trade them around. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. Thank you, guys, back there. Uh, Vel, that was um, uh, a thought that I was I was thinking there too. I, you know, it's like some people don't can't relate to a father, and so when they see it in here, it's like they really have difficulty. But it's amazing how the Lord kind of honed in on you and showed you who the father is about. Uh, the earthly fathers, they can do the best that they can, or they're not there at all. Right. And you know. It, it, you know, it's too bad. You know, you're not able to use that illustration. But yet, at the same time, it's really about all 
the, who the real father is, isn't it? And that's the attitude that you take. It's either that or you could really hold it out on God and say, you didn't give me a father, and, and then I can't, how can I understand you if I didn't have one? But uh, And some do do that. It's really cool because when you actually take a step back and you say, wow, this is God's work in life, then you then I began to question myself, okay, well, what lessons did my father teach me, my earthly father? What God is lesson did he teach me by not being here? So then that caused me to really search and inwardly and say, okay, what do I have that's not for my mom? And what do I want because of my dad? So it was very much like, my, my mom was without a husband, so I know the destruction that that causes. And with the five kids, you know, one passing away, it was like, well, I know what it means to be a father, and I know what it means to be a husband, and that's why I took away from it. So, definitely going to do things different, because I know how it feels with other kids, with their parents at a young age, where they're like, oh, fathers stay at school, and you're like, well, you know, I don't have anything. So, I see all these kids with that, and it's like, well, I guess, you know, that's just the way it is for now. You know, um, sorry. Go ahead. Two things about... Please realize how much that God has blessed you by through the pain and emptiness of right. not having a natural father. First of all, you have, uh, you know, a as a Christian man, you have a ministry there. And you can relate to many other young men who right. are in the same situation. You know, more than somebody who, right. you know, you know, has that. Right. Yeah. So you have that, and and that's a blessing. And then the second thing, and probably the most important, is now you have a new legacy in your family right. that you're establishing as a, as a father of your children and husband to your wife. And right. you know, it's like right. you're starting over <laughs> right. a, a great new. I'm ending the yeah yeah. You, so you know, you should you should have something up on your wall to remind you. This is your legacy. You are right. the father and husband in your, your family. Well, I just thinking, Bob, you can be one to who it's who can say that because that, in some senses, I guess that's kind of where you were at too sure. as you grew up. Yeah. Yeah. And there might be some yeah, other ones here that could say the same thing. <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah. right? Right. Maybe more here that were fatherless or almost that way than the ones who did have fathers. Right. And today in our society, in our generation, I think it's probably more fatherless than it is having a father. Right. Well, and some people have biological fathers and they under the same roof with them, but they're emotionally absent. Right. That would be worse. Yep. That could be, yeah, it some sure could be. Yeah, it could be very hurtful. Who have fathers, and the fathers weren't really part of the kid's life, and I just kind of wondered to myself, like, is it possible they have a worse than me? Because... At least mine is absent, and yours is there. <laughs> so I'm like, I can't believe that bad of way. See, God will give you the grace. All right. Uh, it's, that's why He didn't give me daughters. Right. <laughs> he knew that I wasn't going to be. Well, I have, I have a daughter, but I did not raise that daughter, and and you know, daughters are, you know, they they are a. You know, they're a challenging thing. And 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 you know, sons are too, but but I just I just know that Julia and I didn't have daughters because God you know, gives that grace to those to some that that, that can do that. <laughs> you know. I'm I'm like in this study you're talking about I'm the weak guy that he gives cordials to. You know. <laughs> because uh you know, I'm weak. <laughs> but I think it takes a strong person to raise others. <laughs> well, we might have some people that might might uh, agree with you there. <laughs> yeah, I know there's a lot of personal bias in what I just said. The girls were really they were. Challenges sometimes. Johnny says challenge. Good. They were good, though. <laughs> but you probably didn't even know it, and you had, you just you were given you know, special. You know what? What grace. I was thinking when he was talking about discipline and God and all that, and with our kids, kids want discipline. Our kids were disciplined. They were. They were. 
They didn't get a stamp till 11 o'clock. Right. And I see my kids letting their kids stamp till 11. And then they come to me, Mom, well, what can I do? They're doing this. And I'm thinking, hmm, maybe you should discipline them once in a while. <laughs> you know, don't let them do everything they want to do. That's a, that's a scary topic. Limits. Because, I mean, I think in today's society, which is uh, a major influence when it comes to discipline, it's very much like, don't discipline your kids. Don't do it. Mess them up psychologically. And when you look at kids who aren't disciplined versus kids who are, you realize, well, one does what you ask them to do, and the other one, you don't even know what they're even up to. You don't know what they're doing. You don't know what kind of stuff they're doing. How they'll react. And it's like, when they get in trouble, what do you do? So it's like, you know the Word of God, you know on a personal level with how God disciplines you and it kind of is a reflection. Every time I'm disciplining my kids, sometimes I get like a reflection, like when I tell them to do something, I'm like, I've heard me say that before. Like I know that I tell them to not do something I've done. It just feels weird for me to tell them to do what's right when in turn I also do what's wrong. So it's very much like a... Well, the uh, the relation of a father sure sets a tone for all of us there, doesn't it? We can identify with that. Aren't we glad we have a father that is perfect in every way, and and how he disciplines some of us now, and then at the same time how he's so gentle. And uh, keep in mind too how close Jesus. You know, in his earthly uh, ministry, was so close to and so dedicated to and so subject to, you know, that that example of, of always going to him and always praying and always having that, you know, active relationship. Right. He came here to do the Father's will. The Father's will. That's all he that he remained was close. To all, you know, he'd go off and pray up the mountain or whatever and, you know, get, get away from everybody and be with his father. The perfect father-son <clears throat> relationship of all. And we're brothers. Yeah. Brothers with Christ. That's right. Well, the uh, the idea of him being a husband, it's of course, it's throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. And, of course, a, a husband seeks the good of the spouse, the wife. Doesn't want to destroy the wife. Uh, uh, Ephesians five, of course, that you know that we have a whole section there, but um, what a perfect picture of Christ! Uh, you think of verse twenty-five: Husbands, love your wives. This is Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her, so that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word perfect picture of Christ, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. He talks about we are members of his body. What a mystery. But it's all reference to Christ and the church there. And, uh, of course, it gives a great example how a relationship is to be between a husband and a wife. I like what it says in Isaiah. Isaiah 54, verse 5. Uh, Here it's speaking of the Creator or the Maker. I might have the wrong one there. What did I say? Did I did I say Isaiah? Right, it's Isaiah fifty four five. Let me get the wrong book there. Uh, it says, "For your husband is your maker," and the maker is capitalized with an M there. Um, there he's talking about um, Israel being in relationship with God and your husband is your maker whose name is the Lord of hosts and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel who is called the God of all the earth. Your husband is your maker. Think about well, what what is that saying there? Your, your husband is your maker. 
Now, there's no husbands that we can think of earthly that make their wives, but He made us. And He, he entirely loves His people. He, he engraves them upon the palms of His hands, as it says in Isaiah 49.16. So He's going to seek the good of His spouse as much as He, as much as he will. And He'll always turn it to the best. Um, Isaiah 49.16. We did one Isaiah there. 49.16. What do we have here? Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. That's how much care and nourishment, the nourishing that he has for us. How about 43 of Isaiah? 43.3. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, your God, your Savior. And he says, I've given Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in your place. Uh, there he's talking about there, uh, kind of like a vicarious compensation there, in, in, a, in a sense. But uh, I'm the Lord your God. I am your Savior. And uh, this is the relation that uh, he has with us as far as shielding off any kind of evil that can come our way. He seeks the good of his of his spouse. So what do we have? We have a the great physician. We have the father who is a good, good father. And we have the husband. How about a friend? He's a friend to us. Now, most people don't like to think of it that way. Oh, he can't get on the level of a friend. Yeah, like a friend. Um... He's, he really desires to do his friend good. You know, he, he, you know, when you have a friend, it's something special, right? It's somebody that you can uh, you, can, you can talk to, relate to. Um, you have friends; those that's a special thing. And what he does is he promotes his very own good, his welfare to his friends. Just to be thinking that you know they're. There are friends, and then there are friends. Well, he is the friend of friends. God is the best friend. Uh, to Abraham, what did he call him? He's my friend. In James 2.23, uh, Abraham was called a friend of God. Um, then in John 15.15, 15, Jesus is on the scene, has his disciples along with him, he starts talking about, I am the vine and you are the branches in John 15. Then he says something that's rather incredible. What's that? Sounds like an old Keith Green song. Oh, yeah. I am the vine, you are the branch. Oh. Uh, it's a song that goes back to the, the 1980 or something, and he's back there singing. You know, he, he was another 15 years before you're born, or whatever. Um, <laughs> John, John, 15, 15. No longer do I call you slaves, although that that's another relationship that I have. But you know, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I've heard from my Father I have made known to you. By the way, you did not choose me as a friend, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. Your fruit would remain, so that in whatever you ask of the Father in my name, in your friend's name... He may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. So they're brothers, and there you have the relationship of a friend. Um, he's a faithful friend. He's a, he's a you know a really good friend is one who's faithful. And in Deuteronomy seven nine, he's called the faithful God. He's faithful in in his love and everything that uh, he has for us. He's faithful in his promises. He never breaks a promise. He is the promise keeper. He is the promise keeper uh, in all of his dealings. Um, he's immutable uh, as a friend in the sense that he will never he'll never leave us. What does it say in Hebrews thirteen five? I will never leave you nor forsake you. Um, 
how about when when somebody gets flowers? They take the flowers while they're really fresh and they're smelling good and they're looking great, and they're put on the table to be put on display, right? But what happens when they wither? They take them out and they just throw them in the trash. <laughs> God doesn't do that. He doesn't throw us away. He doesn't leave us or forsake us. Um, now, and sometimes, whenever people see the light shining on somebody else, they want to be their friends. But as soon as it gets a little dim or a little dark, all of a sudden they just they want to split. And they want to get away. You know, they don't want to be around them because they don't have that. They don't have the money, or they don't have some kind of draw that they thought they had. Uh, God will never leave us. Um, and then one of the uh, the great thoughts that Watson had on this is the relationship of the Christian with the head of the church or the head and the body. How close can you get when you get this mystical union of the head and the body? The head of the church, we, we read that earlier in 523 of Ephesians, the head guides the body. The, the problem is is that sometimes there's a spastic body going on because the body's trying to do something different than what the head is directing. And that's what happens a lot, individually and as the whole body of Christ. But um, all the parts, they, um, they are to be guided. They are guided eventually by, uh, by the head. And it's for the good of the body. Um, our head, now catch this, this is what Watson said, our head is in heaven, and surely he will not allow his body to be hurt, but will work for the safety of it and make all things work for the good of the body mystical. The head is in heaven. The body is here on earth. There's still one. He's not going to do anything to injure himself, is he? Quite a nice thought. Well, that's the reason. Those are some of the reasons just by looking at different relationships, the the physician, the father, the the husband, uh, the friend, uh, the mystical union. There are many others in the Scripture, but uh, we would uh, fall short in time doing that. So so part two is this. Uh, What does all this infer? What does this imply? What, what What do we get out of this then? If all things work for good, right? First of all, it means there is a providence. This means that nothing happens by accident. This means that things don't happen by chance to Christians. But God sets them working for good. And looking through Ecclesiastes, that's what we kept seeing, wasn't it? Um, Watson said this, God is the great disposer of all events and issues. When you know He's controlling all of that, it makes you feel pretty comfortable in His hands. In His hands. We're not governed by second causes, are we? Now, there are second causes, some that are directly that God gives, and then there are secondary causes. In Reformed theology, they teach that. But... Over it all, it, we're still governed by God in, 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 in every sense and, uh, and not by the counsels of men, right? So, we think about this. Turn back to your Romans 8. Remember 8.28, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And then you get verse 29. And what He does here is He says, Providence has like three things that are involved. Number one, and you see it right in verse 29, for those whom He foreknew, that means to have a relationship with. It means to He knew us long before we ever were ever born, right? He, he knew intimately. To, to know intimately. Okay? That's where it started. So that's where providence started before we were even here. And He he knew us, really intimately knew us. Um, then the next one is God determining. 
in providence you have him what? Foreknowing and then predetermining. And so it says here in Romans eight twenty nine, for those whom he foreknew, he what? He also predestined. The word there means to predetermine. It means in the very sense of that Greek word, it's praharizo. To mark out. Like Martin Luther King. Say it again. Like Martin Luther King, in a way. Martin Luther King knew God, God knew him. Martin Luther King knew that great purpose that God predestined. God knew that this man, Martin Luther King, would come to be and this is what he would do. And that way that God previewed destiny, you know, gave us a destiny with a purpose. Like, for something like maybe us in here, maybe we don't know it so well. Yeah, he knew them like uh, Jeremiah. Right. He knew him as like he was in the womb. Right. Before Jeremiah had even been there, he, he foreknew that. And then he, God also determined what he was going to do. And right. he wound up doing it. Right. Even though... You know, it wasn't something that, you know, he dreamed of himself. He didn't even want to do that. <laughs> but he was, but God. It's something that he was drawn to because He put it into it, yeah. And, and that's, that's where it all starts with God foreknowing us, with him predetermining. And then what happens in providence is that he's the one who directs it. He directs those events, those actions to happen and at the same time our personality is all working in with that and how do you describe this I mean, it goes beyond our thinking our mind and I'm glad that God sets it working um, Watson said this I thought this was pretty good he says learn to adore providence providence has an influence upon all things here below and here, here's the one where I have it underlined God's providence mingles the ingredients and makes up the whole compound. He takes some here, some here, some there, puts it all together. And as he said in verse 28, he makes it work together for good. And we're talking about all things. And so we could take a whole night and talk about all the bad things that he can work out. And of course, there's all the good things. But uh, you think about that in his providence. That is an, that's just mind-blowing. We can't even imagine. Nor will we even try how he works these things. Uh, look in Psalm 103.19. High thought of God here. 103.19. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His sovereignty rules over all. He's in charge. Totally in charge. We know this. We talk about this all the time, don't we? But isn't it good to be reminded? He has the throne. He's in charge. And He rules over everything. Rules over it all. Incredible. How about the the uh, condition of every child of God? We're blessed. We are happy. We are really, really, really blessed, aren't we? In Psalm one twelve four, it says, "Unto the upright, the righteous, the believers, up unto the upright arises light in darkness." Even when it can be at the darkest times in history and such, we're still light. The most cloudy, the most dark, cloudy provinces of God have sunshine in them because He is the light of the world. If you have Christ in you, you have light in, in, in darkness. When, when a saint dies, he goes to God. When he's living, everything is going to work for his good. How can we lose? Even while we're living, everything's working for good to that very aim. Affliction is for a good. Um, what hurt does fire do to gold? Purify. Did you say purify? It, yeah. And regardless of whether it melts or what, it, that's what it's doing. It's purifying, and you're getting pure gold. You can't get you can't burn it up, can you? 
but you can get all the dross out of there. It's an incredible, and of course he uses that as an example throughout the New Testament and when he's dealing with trials and such. How about a winnowing fan? Where you have grain, you have a fan, you have wind blowing. And you can say, oh man, it's just going to blow everything away. Well, what it does, it separates the chaff from what is really real. Just some things that God is doing with us in His providence. Um, affliction. When when God lays men upon their backs, here's another Watsonism. When he when he when he lays men upon their backs, then they look up to heaven. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> look up to heaven. Uh, he says this too, like this. God smiting His people is like the musician striking upon the violin, which makes it put forth a melodious sound. He's taking us as instruments. Did you like that? (laughs) I thought you might like that, Mick. (laughs) Um, Oh, he he, he used this. I like this. Just like bruised flowers. I've never used that language before. Bruised flowers. When they are pounded and broken, they send forth the sweetest smell. (laughs) <laughs> okay, sure, I'd love to. God's smiting His people is like the musicians striking upon the violin, which makes it put forth a melodious sound. Discipline, friction. Yeah, yeah, right. Boy, you know, those strings are getting treated roughly, but can you imagine the sound that's really coming out of that? We don't notice all that, do we? (laughs) That's right, looking back. Um, Affliction is a bitter root, but it bears sweet fruit. Um. The peaceable fruit of righteousness, Hebrews twelve eleven. You like that? The peaceable fruit of righteousness. That's what he's working in us. As we work it out, the fruit is coming. Uh, if he starves, uh, if you have poverty, he says that he's actually starving sin. Sometimes, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Uh, sickness so shall make grace more helpful. How about this one? Death shall stop the bottle of tears and open up the gate of paradise. You like that one? Uh, here's another one. A child of God says this, If I had not been afflicted, I would have been destroyed. If my health and estate had not been lost, my soul had been lost. Anyway, um, Watson went on talking about how encouragement it is when, whenever we go through our life living up. Uh, they use the word piety, pious. Uh, we think of the word religious, and that's but this is a good term. We're talking about being godly, being Christ-like, uh, desiring to please God. Is that what you like? Is that what you want to do? Please God, right? That's that's what we're about. Uh, pious is one who lives out the Christian life. And um, so it's like what, what is happening. If, if we love God, then we become pious. Uh, a good pious. Usually when you hear that word, it sounds bad. Oh, they're just acting pious, you know. Yeah, um, one of the, the female uh, girls at, at the household uh, palace Pilgrim's Progress. Bunyan. Alice Beautiful, that's what it's called. Uh, the four yeah. girls, piety, mm-hmm. is, is one of them, charity, mm-hmm. discretion, and purity. Yep. Those are good terms, but they've kind of been lost in our language. See, that's, that's what we talked about. We said piety, and that sounds pretty bad. You know? <laughs> but really, it should be seen as a you know, beautiful girl. 
Quite the. Uh, uh, if if you want to talk about that, talk to Zach Whitson. He loves to use those terms right there that you gave. Yeah. Uh, uh, piety, right? Yeah. Purity. Purity. Um. And I guess we're going to have to pretty well close out of this. So I want you to look in Romans eleven thirty three. How does how does a Bible study go by so quick? Romans 11.33 Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. We haven't even hit the tip of the iceberg. These are deep thoughts. You guys have shared here, you know. I mean, they're real. That's what happens in our lives. And it's neat to share with what what God is doing in our lives and how He's shaping us and conforming. Isn't it exciting? It's great. You betcha. And then we can say, unsearchable, unfathomable are His ways. You know, he He gives us a glimpse. When we have glorified bodies, we'll be able to understand Him even more, but it'll take an eternity. That means it'll just keep on going to know all about who He is. But the wisdom of God makes the worst things, if you can think of even the worst things imaginable, work for good. I think, you know, you say that, I just keep thinking of, like, the Holocaust. Ah. Like, real-life events, like, how in real-life amount of times in the history that we can study has always been some, like, great disaster that has taken place that, said a great word yeah. there, Mick. Riches. Yeah. Riches. We can't search anymore and we can't trace our way back because the waves are too high for us. Uh, that's why it's going to take an eternity. Um, Watson, Thomas Watson here was talking about the divine chemist, that being God. And he, he extracts gold out of dross. It's the way that he said it. When you when you look at some of those uh, shows on you know up in Alaska, you ever seen those where you know the the gold miners and how they have to go through stuff? They have to put all this rock and earth, you know, and it has to go through screens and such, and then they get the the finest little bit of gold, you know, and it's like not even an ounce. (laughs) But they take all that dross and they get their real thing. Well, God is doing that, and and this is all like providence. But think of Joseph. Joseph was put in prison. God could have kept that from happening, but he had a design that was going to be more than Joseph could even imagine. How about Jonah? There's no way that he was going to be saved but being swallowed alive by a fish. How about Egyptians hating Israel? And God uses that. Paul was bound with a chain and if you look in Philippians 1.12, we'll probably just stop with this. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances, and this is what you were talking about, Avil, this is when you see it from God's angle, you see how things are working for good. If we look at our angle, Paul's in prison. You know, he, he had this ministry and now it's all blown because, look, he must have been disobedient or something because he wound up in jail. Oh. He winds up in jail, but look at this. He says, I want you to know that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. (laughs) And then you read a little bit further, 
And he says that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. And some were preaching, you know, envy and strife. But he he says, but still yet it's going out. I mean, that's an incredible way to look at it. I think he had the view that uh, the way that God uh, wants us to look at things. Uh, We read, you know, uh, Romans. His ways are past finding out. And um, when you look at this, you say, what a ride that we're actually on and what He's doing. And in the way that we relate to Him in so many different ways, He comes down to our level, speaks baby talk to us so that we can understand some deeper things of God when He says, I'm a Father. And and He means that. Jesus said, hey, I'm going to teach you how to pray. What did He start with? Our Father. That was enlightening. No Jew would have ever said that. No way. And here He's teaching you come to Him as a Father. He's taking care of you like the greatest doctor ever could and He's going to make sure that He just doesn't give you medicine so you'll be hooked so you have to keep coming in. You know, and But it's going to be the perfect medicine that we need. And then you go on, what a friend we have. What a friend we have in Jesus. Oh yeah. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Even the worst things, the best things. And to close out, I said one verse, well, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, As God is seeking our good, shall we not seek His glory? And in 1 Corinthians 10.31 it says, Do all to the glory of God. As He works all things together for good, we are to be giving glory to God in all things. Thank you guys for coming out. Very thankful that uh, we can share this time and with the Word. Thank you guys for all your all your thoughts. How God's working in us. Beautiful, isn't it? I was thinking of one more thing about how God uses um, bad to do good. I was thinking of, uh, I don't know if you guys know who Tupac or Biggie is. Yeah. Well, some people don't. Uh, do you know who Tupac and Biggie are? Uh, not very good. Okay. So, so a little more recent history. Yeah, rappers. Yeah, Tupac and Biggie were gangsters, drug dealers, pimps. They were all those things on top of rapping. And they were big. They were like some of the biggest at the time. And one was from one side and the other was from a different side and each side he said they were gang members and part of the drug dealing life and stuff and guns and stuff um, they were naturally enemies but they came together through music through rapping and they became friends and when they became friends the people like the rest of the gang members who were part of the group they quit fighting and so when you watch like videos or documentaries about both these people who they were before they came together, when they came together, they started to change, the, they started to uphold the cause, they started to like be representations of kind of what good friendship should be, so that this game, these game sides and these things sides stopped fighting, and then there was a whole, they both died somehow, and some people think they killed each other, but no <laughs> for sure, so when that happened, one side blamed the other, the other side, they started blaming each other again, and they went right back at it. So, like a in a way, biblical story. <laughs> <laughs> in a way, it was like God using bad to good, then bad happens again, but then later on down the road, good happens. So, because of the depravity of man, that's the reason there's the bad. But but uh, um, also, they, didn't really, they didn't really change, but they had a deeper understanding of, um, you know, the kind of burden that they had to bear because, you know, they're both from just, they were just two regular people who just were raised in that kind of era and they did what they had to do to survive and get more selfishness. They were just basically really simple and God used the two of them to come together to create peace for a time. There was actually some good happening, that. right? <laughs> and then, you know, because then not really changing the ways, you know, they came both to them.
A lot of people think they're still alive somewhere, but if you look at the facts, it's that about Elvis too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They say that. They say that. Yeah. I sure have a way of pulling pearl out of voice. Hey, that's pretty cool. Very good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for your word, your truth, and above all, as we ponder these thoughts, that we would look at you as being the answer for everything. Thank you for all the encouragement that you give us and you make it very possible for us to be the shining lights here in a dark world. And, of course, that's how, as we are your body, you, you're the head and you're, you, as far as you're being concerned, you want to shine through us and help us to be those kind of agents that can... Uh, turn the light on for somebody else as you work through us. Thank you for this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Take it home and give it to Nondor. He always likes to... Oh, there you go. 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 Oh, there you